Hi, Christian. Thanks for that. We'll talk to you more coming up later on in the show. Right now, we're going to bring on our editor at large and our diesel markets expert, John Kingston, joining us for our final update on fuel prices for 2023. John, what's going on in the markets right now? Uh, two different things. The uh, the DOE EIA number came out yesterday. Uh, it marked the eighth week in a row of declines. Let me get you the exact numbers here. Uh, it dropped. You know, I got to put glasses on. Okay, I'm sorry. I never <laughs> do that. I got it. Okay. Um, it dropped 9.3 cents to three dollars eighty nine point four cents. That's the eighth week in a row that it's down, and it's down from a uh, recent high before that run of eight prices of four fifty four and a half. So you can see. You know, that's about 66 cents, 65, 66 cents. Now, that happened even as the futures price of ultra-low sulfur diesel has risen pretty considerably, really about 17 cents uh, through yesterday in the last five trading days. Now, why was that? At first, it really was because it had just come down so far. You know, markets don't fall or, or rise unbroken. So it had come down so far. And, you know, you had some short covering, and, and that boosted the market last Wednesday and last Thursday and Friday. And then, of course, you had the news over the weekend of the, uh, the the problems in the Red Sea, which means the problems in the Suez Canal, which means the problems of moving 9 million barrels a day of oil through the Suez Canal. And that understandably sent uh, diesel prices on the uh, on the, uh, the CME Commodity Exchange up by about $0.07. Cents. Uh, so you've already moved up considerably from the low of last Wednesday in the futures market. Um, unlike the, uh, uh, unlike the, the days last week where they're – you know, the price had risen uh, on the futures market without really any kind of news. I mean, this has a real serious capability of disrupting supplies. There's no doubt about it. I mean, supplies can still get where they're going, but if they're going to have to steam around the Cape of Good Horn, you're talking about anywhere from another 7 to 12 days of steaming time, depending on where you're going. So, um, you know, that that's essentially a tightening of supply uh, when you when you stretch out the supply chain like that. So it's understandable that it went up. Went up. Uh, it is notable that today the market really hasn't done much of anything uh, in overnight trading. So I'm not saying it's all a one-day thing. I mean, it, it could be the kind of thing that if the Suez Canal continues to be restricted in its movements because traffic in the Red Sea is restricted in its movements, you know, that'll start to tighten things up down the line. So um, so it's certainly uh, it's, it's a factor that the that that big bearish market that had been sending prices down since September hadn't counted on. Uh, but here it is. That's the thing about commodity markets. You just, you never know when something's going to happen. And of course, John, we're looking at the commodity market. There can just be so many different variables. Can you talk to some of the other ones that we also have to keep our eye on in the midst of, of course, what's going on in the Red Sea? And I'm talking about things like, of course, the value of the U.S. dollar and maybe interest rates going into 24. Well, certainly the value of the U.S. dollar was a factor in the, the increase last week because you had this Big drop in interest rates, which, of course, weaken the value of the U.S. dollar. Uh, oil and the dollar tend to move in reverse correlation. So, um, you know, it, I mean, the, the, the drop in interest rates, uh, it's just incredible. Well, we were 5%, Anthony. When were we 5% on the, on the two-year, excuse me, on the 10-year? Went like October and we're down to 3.9. I mean, I don't know if I've ever re- seen anything like that. So, of course, that's going to weaken the dollar and that's going to strengthen oil. But I think the two big stories remain. Uh, number one, even though diesel prices have softened, even though inventories in the U.S. have have risen, they are still below where they should be. You know, right now we're getting a break on the weather. Look, it's already uh, December 19th, and at least up here where I live in the Northeast, which is heating oil territory, uh, which is where we heat our homes with heating oil, there just really isn't much sign of winter between now and the end of the year. So that's obviously very bearish for diesel. And I still think that going into 2024, 
the, the, the prevalent story remains all of the forecast for the supply and demand balance, or should I say imbalance, uh, where uh, supply output, supply is expected to go up in part because of increases from places like the U.S., like Guyana, like Brazil, and demand is supposed to be somewhat tempered. So uh, you put those two together, and this is why uh, OPEC Plus is scrambling to implement a 2.2 million barrel a day cut that nobody actually thinks they're going to be able to do. You know, we've had some export numbers on Russia the past couple of days, which shows that they're just pumping it out. I mean, they look, they need the money. They've got to, they've got to uh, prosecute this war in Ukraine. So they're not good candidates to cut back. So um, the supply situation from, you know, from the perspective of a diesel consumer, like a truck driver, is really favorable right now. And we'll see how it goes into 2024. But right now, the, the forecast for the supply-demand balance definitely favor uh, a diesel consumer, not a supplier. So, John, from a commodity risk perspective for the oil that's moving through the Suez Canal and into that Red Sea traffic, are the rebels there sophisticated enough to know which carriers are carrying that oil? And does that make it a target? Or are they just simply targeting whatever comes through the Red Sea, regardless of the commodity on it? Well, an oil tanker and a container ship look very, very different. I mean, I don't think you have to be a a real expert to figure out the two. Um, you might have like a uh, like an LN. You might not know the difference between an LNG tanker and an LPG tanker. But if an oil tanker comes through, uh, you, you, you can you know you can stand on the shore and know that they look very different than a container ship. And John, uh, you also have another talking point around a panel for convoy and really some of the things that went on there. We're going to be some of the top items from that. Well, I went to the Benish uh, private equity conference uh, two weeks ago. It was so busy last week with all this other breaking news. I only got to write it yesterday. Um, so it was a good panel. Uh, Doug Wagner, the CEO of Echo, uh, Kendra Tucker of, um, of uh, Truck Stop. And I'm drawing a blank on the third person's name from a cloud truck. Anyway, uh, they, they talked about innovation, but the first, the first topic of discussion was convoy and what happened. You know, I, th- I think the kind of the main point I took away was from Doug Wagner. And I, I think it's partly that, well, first of all, and, you know, see, there's some of the things we've discussed. I know Craig Fuller has discussed this and, and others that, you know, you throw a lot of money at, at a company like that, and it tends not to get spent all that efficiently. But, you know, what Doug said was, what Doug Wagner said was, at a certain point, like our technology, Echo's technology, was kind of on par with theirs. Okay, maybe Convoy sets the standard, or it doesn't have to be Convoy. It could be, you know, Uber Freight or anybody. And the other is the kind of legacy players, if they're smart, will be able to catch up if they throw enough technology resources at it. And so they've got such a huge advantage in, in other things. And this is a, another point that Doug Wagner made, is that they had, that Echo has really good relations with big carriers. Uh, he mentioned Swift as just, you know, I'm sure there's others, but he mentioned Swift, where he said Convoy never really got that. And so they were, uh, a big company was, uh, had a significant advantage in actually securing capacity at a lower price that Convoy was not able to match. And he cited the, the average length of haul at Convoy versus Echo. And, you know, Echo was like, you know, 50, 60% higher. So even with all this great technology, and they did praise the technology as being really good. I mean, the point that the, the point that was mostly made by Doug Wagner of Echo was that we were able to catch up and that their, their early advantage got kind of whittled away over time. And I think that makes perfect sense exactly when you kind of look down to it, right? You can't can't succeed if you don't have the uh, actual loads to make that happen. Right. Game right. of discipline here. John, well, thank you for joining us this morning for this update and, of course, for being with us throughout the year. We'll talk to you in 2024. Will do. Thank you. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more for Ooze Now.